Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from ITV Studios MD of Distribution, Ruth Berry, about the company's inaugural full festival, why it decided to pull out of MIPCOM and how the business has shifted over the last six months. And Jane Hudson, executive producer of Emmerdale, the first British soap to go back into production following the coronavirus shutdown, on how it happened and the series' recent BAFTA win. ITV Studios has been among the most progressive distributors in launching its own events to connect buyers with its programme sales team beyond the traditional calendar of international markets. The company's spring drama and formats festivals have in recent years become integral in establishing the London or UK screenings in February as a new regular fixture in the annual industry schedule. But the announcement this July of ITV Studios' inaugural full festival and a concurrent withdrawal from MIPCOM in Cannes created waves, coming as other big-name distributors pulled out and with organiser Reed Mid-M still reeling from the cancellation of MIPTV in April. ITV Studios' MD of Global Distribution, Ruth Berry, spoke to me about these developments, how the business has shifted over the last six months and the new shows it's now bringing to market. I think it was March the last time that you spoke to C21, Ruth, and that was at the height of the production shutdown. Things have obviously changed a lot since then, but ITV Chief Executive Carolyn McCall recently revealed that some 230 shows were put on hold during that that period, but 70% of them are now returning to, to some kind of production. So what's the last six months been like for you and what impact has that had on the pipeline of programming you'd normally expect to have available at this time of year yeah I think that's right it's been a it's been a long journey in many ways I think between March and now but um you know I think back in March we didn't quite know what the impact would be on production and and over time it, it did amass to that uh, that magnitude of, of shows that stopped um and you know as you can imagine we're feeling um significantly more buoyant well as you will I'm sure of no Love Island US has started, which is fabulous, in Vegas. Vigil, McDonald and Dodds, uh, season two has started. Balthazar, season three in France, is back in production. And actually, we've managed to get uh, Pembrokeshire Murders into post already. So I think, you know, the optimism of and boost of being back in production is fantastic. Because for us, what that's meant really is that for the last six months, we've largely been a, a catalogue business. We had a few shows that had literally just finished or were about to finish um, or were in post uh, when uh, lockdown started and production ended in, in um, March. So we were pretty fortunate, actually, that we had the ability to go out and sell still some new shows, um, you know, like Little Birds or Singapore Grip, the second window for Bodyguard, um, and, and are extremely fortunate to have a, 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 a huge catalogue behind us of some sort of 46,000 hours or more across all multi-genres that we were able to then provide to our to our buyers. So I think as those buyers went through their own journey of, of what isn't going to be available now to put on air uh, for their channels, you know, needed to look at what is a plug and play solution that distributors have. So I think we, we saw a real uh, demand for the catalogue over the last six months and and certainly things like the the big evergreen shows 
like Marples and Poirot's and Lewis uh, Endeavour. You know, in the previous seasons, there the, the long-running shows. Some some feel good. There's been quite a lot on the comedy side that that's grown. Um, I mean, Schitt's Creek is a fantastic story for us and always makes everyone feel wonderful. So we've we've seen a real sort of dearth of of library content coming to the market, which has been brilliant and actually quite often returning shows that are still live now. So we've had a really good mix across the business, and I think starting to see a lot more conversations around. COVID productions and acquiring content as I think you know slightly tougher economic times means that our buyers need to think carefully about what they're investing in how they might be able to share some of that cost with other broadcasting co-producing and things like that so it's been a, a really interesting six months I think we've learned a lot I think one of the the lessons we've been able to to learn well from as well as our own network um, you know, many of our buyers are commercial broadcasters. And I think having insight from, from what's been happening within our own broadcast world has really helped us understand the challenges for our partners and how we can try and help them navigate what's been, you know, what's been a really challenging few months. And I think not least because of the pace of change. I think that's been been tough for everyone. Some of the shows that were headlining your slate back in uh, March, April time were BBC Drama, Noughts and Crosses, Little Birds for Sky. Those shows, I believe, have been doing quite well. There's been a couple of surprises too, like uh, BBC Two picking up Harlots. Are some of those sales indicative of the changing nature of the marketplace? Yeah, and I think you definitely highlighted um, some some goodies there. I think you know, for example, Harlots is is one of my personal favourites that's that's been on an epic journey, and it's just so brilliant to see it on BBC Two and doing so incredibly well. I think it's the high, the second highest rated drama on the channel this year so far, which is brilliant for something that you know they're airing season one now. There are three seasons. Um, we had a fantastic experience with Hulu actually on that show, and it was brilliant for them alongside Handmaid's Tale at the time actually and that's going from strength to strength if you'd asked me 12 months ago could I see BBC2 buying that show in the the evolution of the stage it's at now I, I probably would have found that quite tricky so you know the fact that it is there now is is absolutely brilliant Little Birds is is live right now actually so just launched on Sky um, Sky Atlantic it's doing brilliantly I think where we fully expected it to um, just the nature of the show it's it's so vibrant it's provocative it's escapism it's full of desires and sexiness and a colorful feast for the senses and it is absolutely that it is um it's erotic it's it's just so different and i think that in a world where we've probably all had a fair amount of stresses over the last six months it's escapism at its best and that has resonated globally there's some really good deals in the making so little birds has been great and and great timing for us i think Shit's creek we've seen go from strength to strength in this period and I, I, th- I think it is partly related to the feel-good angle and and I mean dare I say it not to underestimate the uh, the 15 Emmy nominations that season six um, has got you know for things like outstanding comedy series outstanding writing for a comedy series it, it is an absolutely brilliant show and I think you know what we often learn at distribution companies is that comedy takes volume to, to build up and to travel so 
the fact that we've got so many seasons of this and it has gone from strength to strength, it really has popped in the US, which has driven an increased demand in, in, in the rest of the world. The other comedy that I just, I love that we have that uh, equally, you know, has, has benefited, I think a little bit like Schitt's Creek is um, Brassic. Brassic season two is launched on Sky during this time as well. Partnered with, um, we, we did a, a, a great deal with Hulu in the US and it's, I think it's Sky One's number two program overall this year uh, it's the number one returning series um, and certainly in the 16 to 34 demographic it's just really good funny light-hearted comedy drama um, and so that that's been doing well for those reasons um knots and crosses you mentioned absolutely and you will have hopefully seen the announcement that Peacock have acquired that in the US which I think is fantastic we're really pleased with that I mean it's a show that we're so proud of for so many reasons but it was an incredible book deserved all the awards it had as a book and and Mammoth Screen have made a brilliant adaptation and then last but not least really our our big um, epic American TV series Snowpiercer so Snowpiercer again has run throughout this period of time and it finaled on the 12th of July um, with a really really impressive audience of 3.3 million viewers it's had a really strong average almost doubling tnt's usual slot averages and it's it's been a brilliant piece of television netflix around the rest of the world um done really well for netflix actually it's been certainly well within the top 10 shows on netflix whilst it's been on i think we're really looking forward to a season two of snowpiercer which is in process you mentioned uh, a number of streamers there peacock being amongst the the sort of the new which is launched during this this period there's been a proliferation of those kinds of services during the pandemic um, and the existing ones as well have not only had to feed increased demand but broadcasters all around the world are also scrambling for for product to fill gaps in their schedules so how are those dynamics playing out for you yeah and, and good question i think the dynamic is going to evolve over time as well as as where i'm calling it mid covid at the moment uh, we're certainly not post covid but it doesn't feel quite the same sort of shock that it was at the beginning. The streamers are feeling strong. You know, I think they've got quite a dominant positioning conversations at the moment and they're they're hungry. So, you know, we've got a lot of conversations and I think the fact that Peacock has just acquired, you know, quite a bit of content from us would point to that. And there's, there's obviously multiple discussions with the other big streamers. And I think as they get much clearer in their rollout plans and or accelerate their international rollout, that plans it's you know it's going to remain to be seen quite where their content sweet spot lands I think you know for us our content will feature into that as well as obviously their US programming but but that said we've got such a breadth of programming that you know fits pay television or commercial broadcasters public service broadcasters SVOD platforms I think the strength for us is in the breadth of the portfolio that we work with and when that's English language whether that's international language scripted non-scripted you know it, it it's it means we get have good conversations with everyone but uh, I think that looking at the market from a sort of a mid-covid time point of view there's definitely going to be people who will battle to recover as fast as others and I think the streamers are looking quite strong compared to um, you know other broadcasters who might be having a bit more challenge around advertising and economics so it'd be interesting to see how that plays out over time I think you mentioned earlier on 
co-production conversations. How are those going? You, you, you suggested that they might be increasing, but still, obviously, productions and international productions around the world are some way off from, from being back to normal. So uh, how are those conversations going? And what are you talking about working with more local crews around the world to make those things happen? What, what, what are the, the nature of the conversations? Yeah, I think at the moment, there's sort of outside the norm we've talked about before, I think there's there's quite a few exploratory conversations that are, you know, broadcasters who may have teamed up together and the Alliance, for example, being a, a good one and who else might join into some of their productions or, or just where people might be aligned in terms of the editorial and content that they look for. So there's a, there's a fair few conversations about marrying people up into projects. There's conversations around people wanting to come in on something that, you know, a sort of would like someone else to come in to help uh, shoulder the financing. And so that, again, you know, makes sense. And the next steps are to then go and build out those relationships, which we have and are, are really well placed to do. Um, I think you mentioned it in the question that, that we will see probably for the certainly for the near future more domestic drama that is viable to shoot in the current climate you know that is sort of more contained and certainly when you know we look at some of the stuff that the the content that's coming through to us more immediately they're more domestic dramas and I think that that in itself is going to be interesting to see what co-production conversations or not come up off those but they are great dramas that that pre-sell well into the market so I think the co-pro conversations are going to vary between those that are the big expensive international shows that probably require more local input to help them actually be produced safely and complete versus those that are also sort of domestic, which will probably be a, a, a standard deficit commission model. So again, I think we're seeing a little bit of change in the dynamic of what type of drama is coming through and when, because not surprisingly, it's easier to go back into production on something that is more contained, maybe more set-based than it is to go back into to production on something that requires visiting multiple territories, international casts and those sorts of things. Um, in July, ITV Studios announced the launch of its own fall festival, so a, a virtual event to showcase all the new series that you've got and connect buyers with your sales team at a time when international travel restrictions still make these physical meetings difficult. So what can we expect from that event? Yeah, I think we're really excited to, to be doing this um it, it's effectively it's a three week long event from the 14th of september to the 2nd of october and we've really tried to design this as an extension of you know the drama and formats festivals that we tend to do in in february and actually did did manage to do at the beginning of this year and we've had great success with those and great feedback so so extending them into something in the fall i think seemed like the, the best approach for us to be able to reach you know all of those buyers and partners who as as you mentioned are really going to struggle to travel for the near future uh so we're putting on a virtual content production sessions sessions with producers for a deeper dive into some of the upcoming titles so for example we're doing a world-class session with with world productions and simon heath who's the ceo and creative director there and he's got special guests joining him who will be in some of the upcoming dramas that we're representing distribution for from world so pembrokeshire murders or vigil and then of course the the sort of new to us hotly anticipated sixth season of line of duty so being able to get insight into those i think will be great we're 
we're also obviously building up a set of sort of webinars and, and uh, sessions for our non-scripted side with, you know, CEO of Windfall Films talking about some of the shows that are coming through from them um, and, and award-winning television that they're doing. So there's a wide range of content that will be more visible to the buyers we're creating a whole marketplace um sort of market meetings that that the buyers will be able to engage with the sales team and you know see what's latest from us and the promos and have those conversations to buy as well so they will be doing those daily throughout that three-week festival period and um, I think key to that really is we've just sort of gone out to try and find what the, the the best technology is that we can feel least like we've got some presence and that there's some you know we're in the room because we, we really miss we really miss seeing our clients face to face so the aim really was to see how we could create as, as close to sort of intimate experience with our buyers as we can despite being you know time zones or, or uh, miles apart. You announced at the same time that ITV Studios wouldn't be attending MIPCOM this year, just as other big names like BBC Studios and Fremantle also confirmed that they wouldn't be participating. Has the coronavirus situation accelerated a pivot within the industry away from these large-scale gatherings? Or if there was a a kind of vaccine tomorrow and and travel restrictions were lifted, would you be hopping straight on the plane and and going back to Ken? Yeah, good question. I think the the reality of MIPCOM is it's such a, a big event in the schedule that it takes months and months to plan um you know what the content is and the assets we're using and and, you know what's going on the front of itv studios house and the meetings that we have that that when you've got to plan that far in in advance it's very hard then to factor in the pace at which quarantining or travel or vaccines or just the sort of world around covid can change and so on the, on the basis that we needed to plan so far in advance, I think we just needed more certainty to understand what the best way was to interact with our clients, you know, later on this year. So the decision for us really was about finding an environment that we knew was safe, could happen no matter what, that we knew we had a successful track record in around the festivals that we've had previously. So really, we just thought, let's focus on what we know um, and be able to achieve what we need and what, you know, the conversations we want with our buyers in the best possible way so i think that that's really what's driven us to to put this full festival together okay so there's a suggestion that hopefully when when travel and vaccines hopefully come around we'll be moving back to something that looks similar to to how life was before absolutely if, if we could all be together and and sipping rosé i'm sure we would be okay so um tell us about some of the shows that you have headlining the full festival and some of the ones also that you've chosen to feed on your latest C21 screenings playlist, in particular Romulus, which I think you're showing off for the first time on the site as part of our digital premieres. We are. We are very excited. So we will have the global premiere of Romulus on September the 14th on C21 digital screenings. And we've talked about this show a fair bit. And, our, you know, it's just it's such a brilliant drama from Cat Leia, who, as you, you will know, generally don't do anything other than absolutely brilliant dramas. So it's exciting for us to, to work with the project the, the challenge that we had when we first heard about it is that it's in archaic Latin, which I can't say that we've ever seen a show in archaic Latin before. But the authenticity around it, the acting, the way it's delivered is absolutely superb. And people will be so excited and absorbed in, in seeing it in that premiere. So it is a really great place, a really great time to show it. It is entirely unique and it is just so brilliantly executed that I think we are, we're very, 
very excited to show that to everyone. We've shown clips um, in the past a little bit, but being able to see the first episode, uh, I think, will be a treat for everyone. So very excited to have that screening uh, and the world premiere coming up very soon. Um, we've got a, quite a few other new shows Coming up, one that's quite different for us that I really love personally is Wurzel Gummidge, which has been on the BBC, did very well from Mackenzie Crook. It's full of lots of stars like Michael Palin, Zoe Wanamaker, Vicky Pepperdine, Steve Pemberton. And it, it's a lovely sort of um, magical, funny family drama. New to us uh, is Line of Duty season six. We're super excited to be um, representing that for the first time. We've got a brilliant Australian comedy drama as well called Bump, which is um, an original series that, that really centres around brilliant, ambitious, high-achieving teenager who... Uh, finds herself pregnant with a surprise baby um, and obviously the, the complications that that brings to that um, is going into production imminently for, for Stan. From our colleagues in the US, we're really excited to have 10-year-old Tom. So that is a, an HBO Max adult animated series that's come from Steve Daldarian and uh, Nick Wiedenfeld. That again is, is quite different for us and we're really looking forward to, um, to selling that. And we continue to grow our non-English language portfolio as well so Thin Blue Line is a, a show we're bringing to market which is a commission for SVT it's in Swedish 10 parts um, and it's really about getting under the skin of what sort of being a modern day police person is really about so again quite quite a good range of, of new shows there and several more in the working that we, we, we will hopefully be talking about soon. A couple of the shows that you mentioned there, uh, Wurzel Gummidge, Line of Duty Season 6, those are coming to you partly because of the collapse of Q Media distribution and obviously the other huge change that there's been in the marketplace since we last spoke is the creation of, of Banerjee and Demol. Did you have any thoughts on those those developments? Yeah, I think um, COVID has been has it, it, brought a lot of change to the market and challenges. I think it's going to be interesting to see you know how the the industry copes and evolves and you know we've had such a buoyant but competitive and challenging industry for a while that I think we'll see several trends accelerate over time I think consolidation is something that we'll probably see more of so despite you know Banerjee being a product of, of a merged acquisition pre-COVID I think there's a good chance we'll see more consolidation uh, over the next 12 months or so and and scale will become more important to be able to weather the storms we have like COVID. So I think it's going to be an interesting time over the next 12, 24 months uh, and I think looking at, at you know people will be more open to thinking about partnerships, um, you know how to play to strengths um, and what sort of risk mitigation we all need to think about um, for when the impossible happens which has just happened. So I think it's, it's interesting times for the industry. There will be winners and losers, sadly, hopefully more winners than, than losers, but it's going to be an interesting time. I think that said, one key takeaway for me over the last six months has just been the incredible resilience, entrepreneurialism, innovation, and just sheer gusto from our industry. I mean, when I think about the, the things I've heard that our daytime and news teams, for example, on the broadcast side have been through over the last six months to keep shows on air, or just the sheer efforts to get Emmerdale and Coronation Street back into production, um, and the efforts that the, the indies are making. I mean, my 
hat goes off to them a million times. There's just been such an incredible amount of camaraderie and uh, collaboration and innovation across the industry that despite it having been tough times, I feel really positive and optimistic about just the the sort of seismic changes and the learnings and what will all come out of this in a sort of a much stronger way. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be negative about it. I think there's many things to be positive about and there'll be a lot of great things that come out of this for our industry. Ruth Berry from ITV Studios. You can view the company's latest shows by visiting its playlist on our C21 Screenings platform, where you can also sign up for the Romulus digital premiere on September the 14th. ITV series Emmerdale was the first British soap opera to go back into production following the coronavirus shutdown. The show, set in the northern region of Yorkshire, celebrates 50 years on air in 2022, and in August scored a BAFTA award for Best Continuing Drama. Executive producer Jane Hudson spoke with Michael Pickard about receiving this year's virtual prize, getting back to work, the lessons learned and the art of keeping the title fresh. I mean, we were massively shocked. We really were. We weren't expecting it at all. And, um, you know, I've got slight reservations about the BAFTAs this year, really, because I'm not sure it's the right time to pitch us against each other, particularly. I think a lot of people during this process have lost their jobs and been out of, of work and, you know, to kind of the next thing you get is being told you're not as good as somebody else. So, you know, it's, it is fantastic to, to win it. And we know the jury was done for hours anyway before all of this happened. So we're chucked to bits, but I, I do think, I just think all of us deserve an award. I mean, the soaps are the first people to return to shooting. We never get recognition. We're always sort of, you know, the poor relation of drama in, in other people's eyes. And, and I think, you know, we've just shown that we're not. We know what we're doing and we can produce really great drama under really, really difficult circumstances and we're the first ones to do it. So I just think all the dramas should have just got a big fat award for working. And I mean, and just, you know, looking back on, I guess, 2019, I mean, why do you think you, you won the award? What, what were the, the major storylines or why do you think Emmerdale just stood out above above the great competition that you have almost every night of the week? I mean, I think one thing we try and do is we try and, you know, be innovative with what we're doing, but always remember what the essence of the soap is and what our genre is. And that, you know, you can take the view so far but if you try and do something too extreme you've moved outside of your genre and you're trying to be something else you're trying to be a nine o'clock drama and we're not with soaps and you've got to remember that so I think we showed that we can do stunts we can be creative with our storytelling and we can do what is the heart of soaps which is characters characters finding things out so I think we just covered all bases really yeah and, and when you say you know that you're a soap and you've got to be careful you don't become a 9pm drama and what what are the boundaries that a soap lives within that you have to kind of be aware of all the time when you're storylining you know six 12 months in advance I mean you know soaps should sort of be a mirror to your own life albeit in a very exaggerated way sometimes I mean I don't think most of us live on a street with a serial killer for instance um, and there's always one lurking in the soap but they are a reflection of real life you know we deal with things that people deal with every day with affairs with you know babies being born with death with illness with arguments with secrets and lies so we deal with what people deal with every day and and I think that's what makes up so special I don't think everybody kind of interrogates every 
everyday life like we do, really. And and people see our characters more than they see their own family. You know, you you sit and you you see the Dingles six nights a week, where you might only see your your own dad once every three months. So they feel like they know these characters. You've got to you've got to take them on a journey. And when we get our characters to quite heightened states, we've got to lead our lead our audience there. And we've got a longevity. You know, we're not just on for six episodes and you can blow everything. We're on hopefully forever. So you've got to keep some truth to those characters and keep your audience with you. And of course, we're pre-Watershed as well. So we have to be really clever at telling big, emotional, impactful stories, but keeping within the, the pre-Watershed rules. And, and when it comes to writing, I mean, what, what are the, the rules maybe of, of soap writing in terms of, because I mean, you go through so much story every week, every month. How do you balance telling those stories with the amount of time you have to tell them? You don't want to burn through it too quickly, but then on the other side, you don't want to have people sitting and waiting for resolutions for for weeks on end no I mean we're actually in story conference today we're just in lunch hour and and, uh, we we know we can't sit in a room at the moment 40 of us we've got to do it on zoom hangouts for two full days in different sessions which is a totally different way to to storyline because the way we storyline is we argue and we fight and we laugh and we joke and we take the mickey out of each other and out of that comes story whereas at the minute it's very like I'm speaking you're speaking Um, it's a very different way of storylining and I think you know we always have a rough idea how we're going to pace the story sometimes they're dictated by the story you know if it's a if it's a pregnancy you know what the time span is although babies are normally always early in soaps because we all get bored of pregnancy after a while and you know if it's if it's um if it's an illness it's often got a time frame attached to it and I think what you've got to be especially if you're doing things like serial killer storylines you've got to be really sure that your audience are invested in every character involved in it so it's about your audience really investing really loving those characters really being on the edge of their seat and so you can't rush into stories you know I think that there's sometimes an urge to just plow through stories and rush into it and actually it all becomes very heightened then and you only have big story because you've got small ones at the same time so I think we're always looking to make sure tonally we've got some big things happening we've got some comedy happening we've got kind of the more schlocky story happening and then we've got the really serious heart and soul issue story of the show so I think we're always looking for that balance so that tonally it feels like a very colourful world which I think is what most people's worlds are like you know you've got one friend who's going through hell and you've got one friend who's fallen in love and as happy as Larry so I think that's what I mean about we reflect life I think quite well. And and when it comes to story and reflecting life and and life today now you're back here you know writing and, and filming what's your approach to reflecting you know post coronavirus land are you are the characters oh, now in masks or are you having to revisit storylines and, and replot them so you do reflect I mean, what people are living today it is hard because obviously we shoot a long way ahead of transmission so whenever the government changed something which seems to be on a daily basis by the time we've changed it and it's appeared on screen it's changed again and probably three times in that period so I think what all the soaps are trying to do at the moment is find that happy medium which shows that we're acknowledging the world as it is now we're acknowledging coronavirus but also we're taking a bit of dramatic license and saying look if we've got say we've got a police interview scene going on and it's a big one and it's emotional do our viewers really want to see our characters sat in masks playing that scene and not being able to see their reactions and their facial expressions and and probably they don't and we've got to remember that we are a form of escapism as well as much as we reflect real life we're also an escapism for people we are a you know we're a chance to to leave your own world for a moment and 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 get into something else and I think sometimes we're cathartic for people I I think 
often people who can't show emotions easily, particularly around death, they might see it on a soap and they allow themselves to cry because it feels okay because I'm crying at a soap, not really crying about my own stuff. So I think we're in escapism and we're a reflection at the same time. So we're taking some dramatic license and we're saying, look, in these big powerful scenes, we're not putting masks on. We need to see, we need to be with the characters, our viewers need to be with them but then when we've got things like you know in the pub and the cafe their takeaway venues at the moment and now we're just debating whether they can become eating venues and if they are do we have to wear masks or do we not wear masks so it's a, it honestly I'd like to say it's not a daily conversation but it's a daily conversation I know more about masks and hand sanitizer and two meters I swear I can measure two meters out to the millimeter now with complete accuracy whereas before I wouldn't have had a clue what two meters well so we are we're adapting we're constantly talking we're trying to not look like we're ignoring coronavirus but we're trying to not let it take over our show I think it's taking over enough of our lives as it is without interfering with our loved characters too much when I speak to other writers and they're saying yeah no we're not doing coronavirus masks and things our, our story is set in a an alternative world where you know this isn't happening and of course everyone says well you know the soaps are going to have to deal with it because they're the ones that have yeah. to be reflecting real life and it's interesting you then saying well we're not going to quite do it by the by the letter of the law I guess as it is at the moment no but then I don't think anybody in the country is doing it by the letter of the law because I don't think anybody fully understands what we're supposed to be doing I think if you ask most people what's the rule about bubbles in your back garden people don't know because they're allowed to sit in a pub with 30 strangers so I, you know I, I think what we're doing is quite true of real life so you know we are social distancing is absolutely happening all our characters are social distancing um even the characters who in the same family because our actors have to social distance so we know we've got that going on and we do have people coming into the shop who've got masks on but when we get to those big emotional scenes that's when we go okay and also if you've got somebody finding out somebody's had an affair in all likelihood your first thought isn't going to be put my mask on to confront them it's going to be i'm going to rip your bloody beaks off do you know what i mean so i think we've got to have a bit of reality of going putting your mask on might not always be your first thought definitely I definitely concur with that I mean um, I mean, just turn me back to, to March I guess and, and what was like the first inkling you had that something was coming and, and it might shut you down for a, a few weeks and months what what were those discussions um, you were having God, like? it feels so long ago now doesn't it yeah. um, I remember the first ever conversation about coronavirus I'm thinking this is all a bit over the top and I'm sort of laughing going what's everyone talking about coronavirus never heard the word furlough I thought it was something to do with ploughing a field. You know, just going, lockdown, what? Social, what? All these phrases that a few months ago we'd never heard. And I think what surprised us all and what surprised the country was the escalation, that it went from something which was the last story on the news to suddenly it's about to affect our whole lives. And I think it was that escalation that, that really took all our breath away, going, we're shooting, we're shooting, we're shooting, now we're not. And it was that fast, you know, we we, we ran on a Friday and then we were into lockdown as was the rest of the country so I think the speed at which it happened really took us by surprise and you went from you know shoots it's crazy it's busy hours and you went from that to nothing it was it was just the most bizarre experience I've ever been to and I think for everybody because you woke up on Monday morning and went well what do we do now because we can't go to the office we can't go to work do we carry on doing the script do we carry on storylining all these episodes are we going to be able to stay on screen I mean that was 
my big fears that we were going to have to come off air because we'd run out of episodes. And so there was just so much to think about. It was just, we were on this roller coaster, this coronavirus roller coaster, and it wasn't much fun, but it was bloody bumpy. And it was like we were on it. And I think we're still on it. We're on lap 29, I think, right now. And so it's just trying to keep up, trying to keep up with the changes, with everything that's happening. And most importantly, making sure that my cast and crew and anybody in the office is safe. You know, nothing comes before our safety schedule doesn't come before safety transmission doesn't come before safety it, we're so strict I never thought I would be such a headmistress about safety in my life <laughs> and so I mean during that sort of period were you talking to you know the, the heads of Corrie and, and EastEnders about how you might all get back into work at, at some point and, and what preparations were you making for this point to get back into work obviously we talk to Corrie all the time because we, we're both ITV studios and so we chat with each other all the time and um emmerdale we were the first ones to return to shooting myself and my senior production manager nard mabardi were just it was our first week back in the office and we were just eating our packed lunches and uh sunday came up with this bonkers idea that we might be able to get back shooting if we do these scripts and 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 then sort of said it out loud and everybody went do you think you could and then that was it then the kind of we pushed the ball and it was rolling down the hill and we were like why why did we say anything so we speak to Cornestry all the time we work together on on everything to do with this we've also had conversations with EastEnders I've chatted to Brian Kirkwood at Hollyoaks a while ago we were chatting going what are you doing about it in your show are you going to be showing things uh we've had conversations with Neighbours with Shortland Street uh myself and Nardra have chatted to lots of different independent production companies who make big high-end dramas who I don't ordinarily would never look at the soaps for anything really and and actually are asking for our advice and and just been brilliant and, and listening and you know in turn there's things we can learn from them when they get up and running I'm sure so it's been a real marker of how small our industry is actually and how when we need to pull together and work together it's just like do you know what forget the ratings battle for a moment let's just all take the gloves off help each other and when we're back up and running we can put the gloves back on and have a fair fight but right now let's just get each other working because most of my friends are in this industry and they're just out of work and it's um, it's heartbreaking and how long have you been back filming now and, and just what does what does it look like on on set now and- I think it was May 16th I mean I should have it engraved That's in right. my brain so June July oh nearly three months now so we came back um to do our lockdown episodes which were two-handers and we shot them in a day so we were shoot, shot a full episode in a day two characters one set and then we had one episode with three characters in same director very minimal crew I was on the floor for the whole time during this period um and it was exciting and it was terrifying and it was a bit walking into the unknown uh we knew the kind of tv industry eyes were on us because i think it was like well if we can't do it how the hell does anyone else do it and i think when we completed that first day it was just euphoric we were just so over the moon and then we went oh, shit we've got straight on again tomorrow now and so you know and each each day was like will we get through this is everyone feeling safe is everyone happy and you know what this building is incredible I wish you could see the safety procedures in this building. I mean, we all have these different coloured lanyards. I'm green, so I'm not allowed to cross into any other cohorts and red can't come too by. So you end up meeting somebody in the car park for a social 
social distance chat because you're not allowed to go into each other's zones. Um, and everybody who's returned have all said this, apart from your home, this feels like the safest place to be right now. And it and it really is. So touch wood. We can keep going. And I think the thing for us is we started shooting during lockdown. You know, it was still proper lockdown and we managed to return to work. So we're feeling quite confident in our safety, but nobody knows what's around the corner. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, barring any other sort of lockdowns in, in sort of localised or, or nationally, and I, ITV have kind of announced that they're hoping you'll be back to six episodes a week in the autumn. So are you steadily just ramping up and, and getting as close to normal as you can now? Yeah, we're slow. We started off with a very, very light schedule. We didn't want anybody to be compromising safety by feeling that's complete a day's work at all. Um, and we have fewer scenes in an episode at the minute, so which makes the scenes longer, but with less people in. So whereas in theory it's faster to shoot for our cast, they're suddenly learning eight-page two-hander scenes as opposed to four-page six-hander scenes. So I think they're kind of embracing it as well. They're embracing, you know, the the, the bigger scenes, the bigger dialogue, the kind of getting into things more. So we're we're slowly increasing the schedule. We're increasing the amount of units we've got shooting, and we are just sensibly working our way back to be able to achieve a six TX pattern. And it's always in our mind going, if it gets too much, then it gets too much, and we'll have to relook at it. But fingers crossed, we're on track. And I mean, you mentioned you know people are looking to you for advice. What advice would you give um, you know other productions as they look now to get back up and running again? Um, I think one of the things I've said to a lot of people is you've got to approach this not by thinking about how can we get around it how can we get around the rules you've got to approach this going how can we make these rules part of our working day how can we bring them into our life there's no point trying to look for loopholes ways around things there's no point doing it because as soon as you do that you compromise safety so I think as, as soon as you get into your head this is how it is and we just have to accept we've got to do all these things. Then you find a way to work. I mean, we've had our our two meter pole, which is basically a bit of wood that's two meters long, painted the same colour as the cohort that you're in. It's the cheapest bit of kit ever. Seems to have taken off, and then we're like we physically hold a pole between people because people don't know what two meters is. And then when you hold this pole, then you go, oh god, it, it's actually quite far when you're just having a one on one chat. We have markings around the whole building, marking out two meters, like people are used to now in shops but when we started shooting people weren't used to seeing that you know people weren't used to that much safety in their everyday life because a lot of corner shops still didn't have that sort of stuff going on I mean you can't move for hand sanitizer it's bloody everywhere I mean literally it's to the point where sometimes you can't turn the door handle because it's so slippery with hand sanitizer so got a lot of that going on we have temperature check-in when we come in so we can do that we have a medic with us all the time in case anybody's got any questions we've had conversations with a, a medical officer or the cast and crew just so they could ask any questions they wanted about coronavirus and personal hygiene and what they can do to protect themselves we have constant conversations about our health and safety we have cohort managers on on set all the time we've got perspex screens around the cameras we've got uniflows. i mean we, we've got it all we are literally anybody wants to see what health and safety is just come to our come to our building it's crazy fantastic well thank you Jane I've just got um, just one last question I mean just going back to the BAFTA win I mean what is it just you, you've been in the role for just over two years I think now so what is it you think just sets Emmerdale apart from the other soaps I mean everyone's got their favourite but um, what is it that you've kind of come to love about 
Emmerdale and, and the village that, you know, we see on ITV every night? I mean, I've always loved Emmerdale. I was commissioner for both the soaps for uh, four years anyway. And I started my career 22 years ago on, on soaps before disappearing to freelance produce. And I'm from Yorkshire, if you didn't guess. So I'm always going to be biased to um, to Emmerdale anyway. Um, I think what sets us apart, you know, nothing sets us apart. I think all the soaps are brilliant. I think we all do brilliant things in, in different ways. And I think we all have our turn where we just hit the sweet spot. There's something we do that just hits the sweet spot at that moment in that time. And, and that period for us was our moment in time. So I don't think we're set apart from each other. I think we're all totally capable of winning these awards. It's just who's hitting the right mark with the right people at the right time. And I think our, like I said, I think our ambition and innovation and finding a new way to tell story that hadn't been done before. And when you add up the amount of years collectively, all the soaps have been on screen to try and find a new way to tell a story. But that makes you feel like you're watching Emmerdale. You've not suddenly jumped into a, a line of duty or so. Do you know what I mean, you are true to your genre. You know exactly where you are, but you're being surprised by the storytelling in a way that you enjoy. So I think that's what worked for us this time. And it's just a bloody amazing place to. It's a sick cliche because we are like a big bloody family, and not being able to hug is the biggest problem everybody's had because we are like a pack of gorillas at times. The way we all touch and pour at each other and hug each other and. And we can't do it. It's really weird. I was sat with an actor this morning, like two metres apart. And just, it was just so weird not being able to hug. It was, I was almost like sat on my hands going, I can't hug you, I can't get up. So it's a very, very lovely place to work. And I think the um, that's been shown by our return to work. I think the commitment and the loyalty and the enthusiasm from our cast and crew and our different teams has been phenomenal. I mean, I couldn't be prouder of them. So even though, you know, we could all win it, I'm really glad we won it this time. <laughs> Jane Hudson from ITV's Emmerdale. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile, and social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>